0: This is the Dulcimer Geek Podcast on the road again. Some of my favorite uh, geek podcasts we've done. We're done driving down the highway, and here we are again. (laughs) I'm Dan Landrum.
1: I'm Aaron O'Rourke. And and I'm sitting in the passenger seat watching Dan Landrum drive with one hand and hold a microphone in the other.
0: This is the equivalent of, it's a little more unsafe like eating a burrito while you're driving, (laughs) but...
1: Which we've done. (laughs) Which we've done. Yes, actually, we've done that.
0: Uh, I bet it's safer than eating a burrito. (laughs) Because I'm not worried if I drop the mic, it won't make my clothes dirty. Yeah. And the reason I wouldn't want my clothes to be dirty or or even smell like a burrito or Taco Bell, which is where we got it from, is because we're on our way to Kentucky Music Winter Weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, just to set the time and space, we're on, what is this, Interstate 24?
1: Um, I think we're on 65 North. Are we on 65 North? Okay. That might be the same road right now.
0: Uh, no, I think you're right. Yeah, And we are north. we're north, we're getting close to the Kentucky border, I'd say. Yep, 65 North, there it is. We're at the yeah. 109.6 marker for people who care about such things. And we have a meeting at 6. Okay. When we get there, right?
1: That, that sounds right. We think so, and it's yeah. about,
0: it's getting close to four o'clock in the afternoon central time. So there you go. Um, we might have an occasion while we're at this festival to do another group podcast with a bunch of people like like we did up in Black Mountain, mm-hmm. which would be fun. But I yeah. specifically asked Aaron if I could interview him on this trip because, you know, we rarely do that. Yeah. And once upon a time, and Aaron's going to talk a lot more, I promise, because I'm dominating right now, but <laughs> yeah. I think this is a good thing to do, and I want to do it with more dulcimer players. I think a podcast like this is a better format than dulcimer players news magazine for, for artist profiles. Yeah? Yeah, because you actually get to say what you're thinking yeah. <laughs> as opposed to somebody else writing about you, you know? Yeah, and there's a tendency to get a little fluffy in those kinds of things.
1: I see what you're saying. Yeah, the downside is that um, uh, I don't get to edit what I say.
0: No, we don't yeah. edit these. Yeah, generally. we don't. Yeah, <laughs> so you have to self-edit. <laughs> but hey, we're all geeks here. Cool. You're you're among friends. <laughs> 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 so. Let's start, uh, really, let's start at the beginning. Uh, where
1: were you born? What part of the country? I was born in Schenectady, New York in okay. 1985. Wow. Long time ago. That's a long time <laughs> ago. And so just so you know, folks, this
0: I've asked Aaron if we can talk about what makes Aaron. Aaron. Uh, and all of that's not easy Hmm. so anyway we're going to talk about Aaron's childhood a little bit and, and his coming of age you know and coming of dulcimer and all that kind of thing uh, I think a person's background has a lot to do with who they are as a musician there's some other stuff that goes into it in that Every person who has Aaron's exact same background wouldn't have ended up being the same musician he is. Does that make sense? I think so. Right. But it's I don't know. I just think it's interesting to find out find out the stuff. So, <laughs> Aaron will work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You uh tell tell us a bit about your childhood. Well, that's a big question. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um let me just say it.
1: You had a rough time. Uh, yeah, I would say yeah. That's that's very accurate. Um, uh, it's well, it's tough to know wh- which part of childhood to talk about specifically, because um, I think like like most other people who had a stressful childhood, in the middle of it, you. You don't actually know <laughs> that uh, this is stressful. You just know this is reality. Right. And most days you don't like it.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Can you... We'll bring this back to kind of what we're talking about, but can, can you think of an early happy memory? Yes. Go for it.
1: Yes. Uh, all... Uh, well, not all, but... My happiest memories um, when I was young involved me being alone in my room. Okay. <laughs> and my favorite thing to do as a kid was uh, to listen to music and w- walk around in circles in Not my room. Not much changed. <laughs> Not much at all. <laughs> but the other thing I, I loved was just uh, lying on my bed, staring at the ceiling, and just thinking... Just thinking. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and Do you remember any of the kinds of things you would think about? Um. Yeah, actually. Uh, well, I was I was a bit of a nerd um, growing up. I for a while I thought I I was going to grow up and be a doctor or a scientist, and um, all my free time in elementary school was spent in the library looking through encyclopedias just getting excited and um, I liked to imagine what I was going to invent (laughs) or how I was going to change the world based on (laughs) how little I knew at the time which was not very much but I was hugely enthusiastic about the little bit that I did know.
0: So Aaron and I have had this conversation a few times and I find it fascinating how many things we have that are similar. Yeah. Which is its just really bizarre to me. Remember those similar things. I remember one of my inventions. Oh, really? From that time. Do you remember any?
1: I'll share mine if you'll share yours. (laughs) Um, Okay. You want me to go first? Sure. Okay. Well, this was... um I knew one thing that I wanted to experiment with anyway that I, I didn't know if it would work or not. And I'm convinced it would not work <laughs> now. But uh, when I was in elementary school, we, we heard a lot about the hole in the ozone layer. And um, uh, the bit of research that I did in elementary school, I, I learned that it was not so much a hole in the ozone layer as a weak spot. And I was, I wanted to develop a way through a controlled evaporation over the, uh, uh, over the Antarctic um, to engage the fringes of the ozone layer and start to repair it and rebuild it in fifth grade. That's pretty cool. Well, <laughs> I didn't have the science to back it up. Wow. No, that's good. But I I, I thought I had the science, but I'm pretty sure I was wrong. Well, there might have been more that you needed to learn, that you hadn't had an opportunity to learn yet.
0: (laughs) Cool. So what was yours? So Aaron's going to get around to this but uh, on on his side, but my mom and dad, dad in particular, were easily, and I'm being uh, – you would generously describe generously describe them as uptight, okay, uh, and pretty strong uh, tendency to lose you know temper every now and then. So there were some stressful times because of that kind of stuff. In particular, I have a lot of memories about uh, being in the car with my dad and him being really angry. Yeah, just really angry. And of course, this was in the '60s. I was born in '61, and you didn't wear seat belts for the most part. I'm not even sure our cars had seat belts. Hmm. And I used to not like it when we would get slammed into the back of the seat. Oh. <laughs> because the brakes would go on. Oh, wow. So I invented, and I remember trying to share this with my family and having, I don't know that I may not be able to explain it any better today, I noticed that all cars had armrests in them. Mm-hmm. So, from playing with one of my toys, I realized that if you slid a block forward with a marble on it, and you stopped it, the marble would continue to go forward, uh-huh. and that you could put it on a ramp, you could make a ramp, and the marble would go up the ramp, but it wouldn't go as fast, it wouldn't go flying off. So, my invention was a track that was going to go inside the armrests of a car, with a bell at one end of it, and you set the angle on it, and it set them in all the cars, and when you stopped too fast, the steel ball or the marble rolled up the hill and rang the bell.
1: <laughs> I think your invention was a bit more practical than mine. <laughs> well,
0: it would have just been in my car, like, ding, 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 yeah. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but that's for real. So nobody steal that, okay? Don't steal that.
1: Yeah. I, I thought you were going to tell me that you invented seatbelts. Oh, no. <laughs> that would have been more practical. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Good idea. Oh, wow. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. So as we've hinted at, or you've mentioned just straight up, you've uh, yours was a little stressful. And i got to tell you, as we do this, have this talk, I'm aware that your mom might listen to this. Mm-hmm. And does that make you... How, how, how do you feel about that?
1: I don't know. Um, <clears throat> my mom's a sweet lady. She is. Um, really sweet lady. And I, I feel very loved by my mom. And I, I love my mom. Um, you even wrote a song? I wrote a song called Hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, we yeah we've talked about the stresses of childhood and it's it's amazing i mean how much she has how much she doesn't remember um when we talk about stories of my stepdad and uh and abuse that happened there um but we've had very open conversations about it and
0: i don't know how much you want to share it it would be... Yeah, I guess that's up to you. But mm-hmm. we're talking about mainly... I mean, some, some pretty heavy verbal abuse and, like, arbitrary over-disciplining. Almost some of your stories make me feel like you felt like you were held captive or something.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, for me... And I think that this all this all has roots in oddly in my approach to music (laughs) but uh, um, as we've talked about before coming through uh, coming through a childhood that was not just physically um, abusive but emotionally and mentally abusive um, while it Sucks for lack of a better word, it also gives a perspective that's hard to want to trade in after working through it um, for I would like to add okay for you right because not
0: everyone deals with that the same way. there are some people who are horribly broken you know for their entire lives
1: absolutely yeah. and i I recognize that I could very easily um, very easily uh, be just as broken as I was um, had it not been for a few rather fortunate events and encounters. Um, Well, so let's
0: go to the as I was spot. Okay. Uh, what, What time frame are we talking about now? What age would you say you were? I mean, maybe you don't know, but do you remember being like, okay, I'm in I'm in a, an abusive relationship. Other people don't have to live like this.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember um, when I started to, to realize, um, or I guess just sort of grasp um, that this that it was in fact abuse and that not only that, but you know, more importantly, that I learned some behaviors and mental processes along the way that were extremely destructive um and it was in my later high school years that that I started to see this as I was spending more time around my friends and my friends families and I I saw every family you has their own stuff but um in talking to my friends and you know and others I was getting to be by doing music, I was getting to be friends with more adults as well. And I, I started to get the feeling that uh, <laughs> that what I was growing up in or had grown up in was not totally normal. Not only that, but that there were better ways to live um, than I had been exposed to and what I had learned. Um, for me, it, it, a lot of it came to a head it, at well, two different points in my life, really. Um, one was, uh, when I was 18 and it's, uh, in talking to, to a lot of people, a a lot of us tend to point to, to one time in our lives where we feel like, well, that was just the time that the year that everything happened (laughs) or something. And for me, um, the summer after high school, that was, I felt like that was the summer where, every, where the bottom pretty much fell out. Um, I had uh, my friend, my best friend, Derek, uh, who got me into playing music and so was hugely influential on my life. And just for context, I had tried learning how to play guitar in elementary school, middle school, and again in early high school, and I failed every time. And I decided that there was just not a musical bone in my body. As much as I loved music, I just wasn't meant to play it. And let's,
0: um, let's come back to that in a bit. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead and continue. So, with.
1: so, well, in a nutshell, Derek was the one that convinced me otherwise. We played in a band that summer after high school. I played uh, bass guitar. Okay. <laughs> and uh, um, but that the summer after high school, Tell he was what killed. did it look like? <laughs> what? What did it look like? It was r- red, like lipstick red. Where'd you get it? The same color as my hair <laughs> at the time. <laughs> it was dyed? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? No yeah. kidding. Yeah. Spiky or anything? Uh, mildly, but...
0: Were you sporting yeah. like a Beatles do then or
1: just... No. I mean, it was short and like Coke can red. Okay.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah.
1: Any photos? Uh, uh Yeah, I think there are. Whoa. If yeah. you can
0: get me one, I will... Include it with this Really? Yeah, absolutely Awesome
1: I need to find a photo now oh, I hope so
0: <laughs> So So you were playing this red Yeah Bass Mm-hmm It was probably not so great
1: N- No it, it, it. Well I mean it was okay It wasn't bad My I had two bass guitars The first one was like a Hundred dollar Starter one that I saved up for, and I was totally stoked to get it. And uh, this other one, I mean, it, it it wasn't great, but it was a it was a step up. So I, I realize
0: now I said we were going to come back to this, and then I just like dove right back into that pool again. No, that's right. <laughs> so. <laughs> y- you were playing. You were at a punk rock band. Yeah. So d- describe this genre for me. Is this is this some s- classical offshoot? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: it's well uh, the. Uh, punk rock I mean still to this day kind of cracks me up because it I know we've talked about it on the podcast before but you know in the traditional realm especially bluegrass now how I hear a lot of uh, bluegrass players um, looking at a lot of uh, you know music that's been insp- that has its roots in bluegrass and they're very quick to say that's not bluegrass and I'm not going to debate whether that's accurate or not like I I if anything, I mean, I'm kind of inclined to see their point. If the, this is how you define bluegrass, no, this is, a lot of the new stuff isn't bluegrass, but right. punk rock has that all over the place. Um, <laughs> and Were so, you a punk rock purist? A little bit, <laughs> starting off. like I, I didn't really l- like any bands that seemed to be making money at it because <laughs> um, that was just selling out and... Uh, nothing to the man or, or, or the ma'am or the ma'am <laughs> yeah <laughs> we were okay with that by then I guess right totally okay it gotcha. was yeah, very yeah. progressive sure <laughs> but yeah I didn't listen to anything that would have been appropriate for radio or uh, dulcimer festivals or yeah or dulcimer festivals so was this a,
0: an angsty outlet for you at the time <laughs>
1: It could be described as angsty. Yeah. It was also, um, even though th- there was no, no amount of technique or theory involved, it was just total raw emotion coming out through power chords and the same drum beat <laughs> pretty much for every song. Okay. Um, How
0: about your musical chops at the time?
1: Uh, non-existent. Well, I say that but also I think I started working st- some stuff out on bass um, uh, little ideas for filler and I had no idea why they worked but I would just sit down and experiment for long periods of of time in my room and come up with some stuff that I think actually sounded kind of cool but I, I still wouldn't say I knew what I was doing or that I really had chops. Do you think it,
0: you knew what you were doing uh, to put you on, <laughs> on par with other people who played in punk bands and played bass?
1: Oh, uh, uh, other punk bassists? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, I think You were doing so. fine for the genre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Did you yeah. sing at all? I did. I mean if you can call it that.
0: Can you think of like one phrase that's G rated that you could scream for it right now? I really
1: can't. I don't think I can scream anymore. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be surprised if I saw you scream. <laughs> actually. All right, so let's uh <laughs> let's go back into the to what's happening in your <laughs> non-music life at this time? I think when last week, go ahead. Because
1: I spent so much time training myself not to scream. Not to scream. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: well, so you mentioned that your friend uh, Derek, uh, mm-hmm. he, he died. What happened?
1: Yeah, he was killed in a car accident uh, the summer after uh, high school. Was he in the band? When I, yeah, he was. He played drums and uh, uh, he was. Yeah, he's the one that started the band and okay. got me playing. So.
0: and you were also telling a story when we when we took that rabbit trail about well noticing that your life that there were like maybe other ways of dealing with with things and that your thought patterns might not be
1: the norm. Well, I also even before i found dulcimer uh when i was playing in the punk band um sorry for laughing but it it sounds like the way you said that was just sort of funny i just
0: wonder if in the punk band world if anybody said don't tell me you've gone and found dulcimer have you and you're not going to play our kind (laughs) of music anymore
1: no uh actually when i started playing dulcimer um i was in a in a couple bands in Tallahassee doing old time and Irish stuff. And it was great. Cause anytime I, I had a show doing Irish or, or old time, you had the, the usual kind of folky or traditional crowd show up to these gigs, but you also had a bunch of kids showing up with mohawks and, you know, like sp- spiky leather jackets yeah. mingling. And, and, and it was, it was great. <laughs> I loved seeing that kind of integration. <laughs>
0: For those of you traveling with us, we just passed the Bowling Green, Kentucky, pull-off. So, as we continue on down our road, yeah, we're making life here.
1: Great time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're making great time. Yeah, it's it's fast. This is a good way to travel. Yeah. All right. So, you're making this transition into this new instrument. Mm Hmm. So how how did you integrate it? And I still want you to get back to noticing. How maybe your thinking was not the most efficient way or or maybe people had other ways of processing and the way other people's lives might be different from yours that I think it's you started on this a while back yeah um I think you even began this by saying I was about eighteen when I noticed it
1: well it's I was eighteen when I felt like uh as I started to say, um, I was 18 when I felt like the, the bottom fell out when uh, when Derek was killed in a car accident. And a whole bunch of other stuff happened I was in a long-term by high school standards relationship that ended the same week that he died. Pet died. Roof got ripped off the house that I was staying in. My family moved away and they Storm? left. Yeah. Wow. Storm. And... Um, and when they, when they moved away, it was it was interesting. And it was, it, as I said, you know, I had a, a pretty tense relationship with my stepdad, but um, I was close to my mom and my little sister. Uh, and hated and to see... We haven't talked about yeah. your
0: little sister yet either.
1: Yeah. But, uh, but when they left, it was... I stayed in the same house, and they took a, a lot of the... The stuff but they left the furniture so there were like empty bookcases and even empty picture frames and so it was it was really awkward being 18 and going through some of these huge life changes Lose my first big experience with loss, losing a, a best friend and relationship and all that stuff and being in what felt like a shell of a house um, and uh, <coughs> I remember when I went from being uh, sad and being able to cry about all these changes that were happening to suddenly feeling numb. And I knew whenever I felt numb, like at that point, I was like, okay, there's something about this that feels really unhealthy. (laughs) Um, In the midst of not just the, the recent losses, but trying to process childhood um, and recognizing, uh, a lot of my, I couldn't justify, uh, I guess just a, a lot of my own behavior, reactions, and thought processes. I think in general, I was a, I was a much more angry and volatile person back then. That might come from just not having a fully developed frontal lobe. Um.
0: There's some of that. Because you don't yet. But it could come from having a (laughs) you know, all kinds of systems that haven't been properly nurtured. You know, and examples Mm -hmm. that haven't been given to you at the time. Mm -hmm. I wonder and I do feel bad, Aaron, for for pulling you back through this in this conversation a little bit, no, that's okay. But I think it's a it's an interesting story. I think it's actually a very positive story, and in, mm-hmm. in the long run, and yeah. I'm honored to know you and you know see what you've become.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But when you were a child, do you think you were becoming numb as a child? Did you did you cry at? physical and mental abuse do you recall well
1: um i know there's been and i don't want to i don't want to make anyone uncomfortable with this story but i'll share this one story that i recognize as being hugely uh impactful as a child that that kind of set the course a little bit for some stuff. And that was, uh, my, my stepdad believed that, uh, that I was a compulsive liar. I was just lying constantly. And that wasn't true at all, but, um, his, uh, his way of dealing with it was, uh, um, while my mom was at work, he would if he accused me of lying, uh, we would sit in the living room the whole day and he would tell me that they were going to put me up for adoption Mm. and what it was going to be like never seeing my mom, never seeing my brother again. And when I started crying, I got hit in the face. Uh, And that was always the threat. I better calm down before he calms me down. And so just... That, living living that way and hearing that threat as a kid, as, as an eight-year-old, that automatically started to shut some emotion down. Sure. And I noticed, I, I mean, I could it's hear in my own voice, like, the, a certain trained monotone that I developed around that time. It's the, it's the, it's an extreme version of, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That that you begin to mm-hmm. learn how to respond in a way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's that's not you're right. It's yeah. not healthy to carry into adulthood. No,
1: <laughs> <clears throat> not at all. But I, th- I think you know, to your point, I, I do. Th- I think that looking back, some of the numbness really started being trained uh, around that time. And um, I remember just feeling the extreme version of that when I was 18 and recognizing all these changes that were going on and, uh, and really just wanting to be able to feel something again, whether it was positive, negative, whatever. I just knew that feeling this kind of numb was... No way to go, <laughs> to, to go through life.
0: So um, I've heard you tell another story too, Aaron, about, and you may not want to tell all the circumstances around this story, so you might have to modify it some, but about hearing someone else's father mm-hmm. kind of lose it towards his son, or at least that's where you thought it was going.
1: Oh yeah, well one of the one of the big light bulb moments for me was, uh, um, being at my friend's house, hearing them get into a fight. And the dad it, and the yeah, son. yeah yeah the dad was and the Derek? son yeah it was, it was, it was Derek Derek okay. and his dad, and it was a it was a misunderstanding, um, uh, totally. But um, when it came out that that's what it was, it was just a misunderstanding. Hearing Derek's father apologize uh, was was kind of a big light bulb moment for me. I'd never actually heard an adult male apologize to a kid, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> that's actually kind of cool." And I remember <laughs> my my respect for Derek's dad shot way up. And I also remember thinking, just it. Re- I think I recognized in my own behavior that. I don't think I would be capable of that uh, at the time, um, and that made my respect for him even bigger, and I wanted to I wanted to be in a place where I could actually say I'm sorry mm. passively and own it.
0: so you just decided right there, right then. And it all became easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think you're it's not all, telling me the truth It's again. all smooth sailing from there on <laughs> <out>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but nuts. that's,
1: I mean, it, uh, that was one of the light bulbs that I think started a process of looking inwardly, as we said in the last podcast. Right. And reflection. <laughs> hmm. All
0: right. So now... <sighs> Here's another painful one, but we haven't talked about Brianna, your sister,
1: right? So tell her story just a bit. Well, she, she was, she was sick all growing up, and um, I know it sounds vague to say she was sick, but unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of detail I can give because she was such a complicated case. Um, Two years the, younger than you? Oh, she was eight years younger than me. Eight and years younger, okay. And she was at the center of it. It. Um, she was uh, panhypopit, panhypopituitarism. Okay. But uh, that's what the doctor said was at the center of it. But there were all these other complications surrounding that. And so when it came to treating her... It was, a, it was a balancing act constantly and it, it just seemed like there were so many close calls and she spent a, a huge chunk of time in the hospital with the doctors not really knowing what they were battling against just knowing that it looked like her body was shutting down mm. a number of times and, um, and uh, on my way to the Chattanooga Dulcimer Festival actually when it was in Monteagle and I had actually I didn't know you for very long at, no, at that we've time No, in Suwannee. Yeah, at White Springs but um, But this is probably 2011, 2010? Yeah, it was 2010 in October um, She went into the hospital um, and uh, I I went up to be with her and, um, that was, that was another, I think, kind of, a, kind of a crucial point in the, just the development process in, um, that, uh, well, that was, that was the last time she was, that she went into the hospital. She did make it out of that. Okay. But, um while i was while i was there not at the hospital but away from it, away from my sister a lot of stuff came up with my stepdad we got into a huge shouting match and it was like 20 years of stuff just came pouring out at a volume that i didn't seem capable of controlling mm. So that's what I did with my newfound, fully developed uh, frontal lobe. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, you're about twenty six then.
1: I was twenty. I just turned twenty five. So he's referring to this. It's something we've laughed about for a long time. (laughs) Uh,
0: If you've listened to this podcast, you know that I, I love reading about neurology and neuroscience, and kind of the general thinking is that the male frontal lobe doesn't stop. It's not done cooking even. Developing mm-hmm. to, until about 25. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what that's about. Yeah. Uh, but I got to say, you did a pretty good job for a partially developed frontal lobe. <laughs> <laughs> From 18 <laughs> to 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for yeah. somebody uh, limping around with your uh, inhibitions, not, right. not fully, <laughs> you know, the wall not all the way up there for those things. Yeah. And I have to also say that, it was, over the years when you, you and I have talked, it's always been impressive that you are willing to, to talk through these things. I think in a way that, and I'm sermonizing here just a little bit, that's missing somewhat from the stereotypical American male. I mean, where we don't talk about that kind of stuff. You know, We don't talk about what's hard. Or where we feel vulnerable, or where we feel like we can't handle something,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and it—I don't know. I just think that's a mistake because there's an incredible. I agree. There's an incredible strength, and I'm going to say what I think is a proper form of manhood, manliness, that comes from recognizing that no, I'm not. I'm not infinitely strong.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. no I I completely agree and I think um, a huge a huge part of that actually came from uh, the a strong desire to not want to be like uh, the abuser in yeah. my life um, same 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 story yeah in my life as well yeah yeah
0: just like I'm not, I'm not gonna be like that right and and even well go ahead oh
1: no no I I would like to hear what you had to say.
0: Well, this is jumping more to the conclusion, or at least the place that I am at fifty, or or about to turn fifty-six, is. uh, And I don't know. You don't have to say anything for this because everybody's at a different place. But
1: well, no. It sounds like you're about to save me some time, like about twenty-six years to be exact. Doesn't work like (laughs) that, does it? No,
0: but I am. My dad died. I'm. He didn't live as long as I did. I mean, so he's been gone, I think, 25 years. Oh. Now, I think it's 25. Is that possible? It is. <laughs> wow. Uh, and I have absolute, complete, and utter full forgiveness. Yeah. And an appreciation for the difficulties of life and... uh as the old uh, Ricky Skaggs song says, uh, you know, getting above your raisin. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my dad had what he had to deal with. And I can never really know how far he came out of what his dad had to deal with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So that it's that stable path that's the thing to be cheered. You know, and even though, goodness gracious, <laughs> if he had it to do over again, I'm quite sure. Well, I mean, he told me that on his deathbed. As a matter of fact, he wished mm-hmm. that he he wished that he could be kinder to his children. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, it's just a, it's a good place to be, you know. So there's no anger. There's nothing. There's nothing held back anymore. And there's a there's a better understanding. But you, I think. Even if you don't see all that exactly the same way you've you've processed this stuff early, and one of the ways you processed it was by pouring yourself into something very positive, yeah, which is your your music and your you know the stuff mm-hmm. you were trying to do
1: yeah well, I think there there's a few sides to that um, one. As I as I mentioned before, uh, when I was playing bass in the in the punk band, I became uh, close to my friends' parents, and that was that was influential to me. I think that got taken to another level when I started uh, playing dulcimer and being part of the dulcimer community. And oh, that's that, nice. Um, most of my friends were suddenly at least twice my age. <laughs> 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 and, and Is that still true? Yeah, mostly. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I think so. But um, and you know, the I older you get,
0: it stops being twice, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. dude, like when I'm ninety, and you're in your, how will you be?
1: You'll be what? in your seventies. Uh, well, when you're ninety, I'll be about sixty-five. It won't matter anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why, and I, I know everyone's different when it comes to this, but I know at it, it, some festivals there's a, there's, uh, there's a tendency to want to create, like, a little corner, <laughs> a, a safe zone, if you will, for young people that attend, like a... Uh, Here's the youth class that's going on, and I tend to be super against that just because of my own my own history, and I think um, part of uh, I'm just laughing because some of that's just to protect you from
0: some people, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for the safety of the kids. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: But no, I, I think I, I benefited so much from the multi-generational aspect of, of yeah. what we do. One of, um, one of my, the first friends that I, that I had playing Dulcimer was my friend David Beatty, yeah. and, um, and I think David was the first person to start to introduce me to just, without really knowing it, just basic concepts of philosophy. And how do you know this is true? like what do you base that belief on and i think for me that was that was really important in terms of self reflection and working well, through a lot of
0: i know david whatever. listens sometimes mm-hmm. i think he personally knew uh aristotle
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure yeah. sorry david <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, that's cool. That's, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. So in working, I mean, can you recall some of the stages of working through, wait a second, the way I'm reacting to that? I don't know that we ever think of it this clearly, that, all right, my, my reaction to that didn't have positive results. I think I will see if I can modify oh. that or do you recall actually
1: doing that thing? Oh I did exactly that Okay. not only did I do that but I, I think I I had that thought process while I felt the knot in my stomach before any behavior came out or any, any words came out just knowing this is how I want to react to this situation like I want to lose my temper in a I mean a split second over just anything and I f- could feel it and I I, I knew that I couldn't justify it. It didn't stack up to the thought process that I guess I was learning and building on. And I felt like I was really pretty good at hitting the brakes. The problem that I ran into was that I I didn't see it changing fast enough. And so there was this uh, huge fear that it was hopeless that I was going to be a direct reflection on... Uh, or a direct product of how I was raised. And, um... I would be stuck. Do you feel that way still? No, not at all. Well, I'll... I'll actually, I'll, I'll say this. I do tend to give myself a lot of credit... Um, maybe wrongly so maybe rightly so but I I feel like in looking back I don't have the same tendencies and destructive thought patterns that I that I had or destructive behavior that I had however when there when there is even just the most just remote sign when there's any remote sign of uh, childhood issues (laughs) not dealt with or you know, what what I could perceive as a learned behavior from my abuser, it's it hits me like uh, it punches me in the gut, and. Do you recognize it pretty quickly then? I like
0: to think so. Is it possible that? Well, I guess I'm I'm not asking that question. I'm sort of saying I think you are. A product of your childhood, but you aren't a copy.
1: Yeah, necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Though that's
0: not. People don't always realize that, Mm -hmm. or get beyond that, Mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah. I never want to say that in some ways I'm thankful for what I've been through. Right. You know, because really, I'm not going to say that. Because I think there, <laughs> there were some better
1: alternatives. <laughs> yeah, there are other alternatives
0: to figuring out that's bad and that's good. Yeah, you know, and most people's lives are are, are buttressed by you know better positive teaching. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, and I posted this photograph not too long ago on on Facebook of this tree busting out of a rock. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the image I have of this whole thing. Yeah. Is that, you know, don't look at that sometimes at that you know, and I and I know I'm gonna step on somebody's toes, but there's the parable of the sower and the seed and it's just all so negative about the seed, you know, not not making it. And I'm gonna go, wait, wait, wait. Sometimes those seeds they just break the rock.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they break the rock and they deal with whatever comes their way as soil to grow out of, you know, and make yeah. something make something pretty strong. And of course people aren't trees. Yeah. Uh, we have this developed prefrontal cortex that <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can we get some say in this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, and some ways are better than others. And so we want to go through the rest of our lives, I think, determining what ways are better than other ways? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But habits are hard to break. I mean, Very. Have you found some things that are... I got I, I want to be careful here. What is it you still struggle with, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. That's not fair. But, you know, in my own life, I do see... One of the places like you and I, I think, are similar. And one of the reasons we travel fairly well together is because neither one of us speed... Yeah, and I think that's a, a, delib- a, a direct reflection on this whole process. Yeah, because I I don't want to be an angry driver. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that.
0: But <laughs> I, I'll, I'll go ahead and confess something <laughs> that I've been feeling lately. So I don't get angry when people cut me off. Mm-hmm. I don't get angry when traffic slows down. I just think, oh, I got a few minutes to sit and think or do something or mm-hmm. listen closely to something, you know? So, and if I'm going to be late to someplace, it's not because traffic slowed down. It's because I didn't leave early enough. Yeah. And so that's the thing I ought to be reflecting on is how to make that adjustment so that yeah. so that, that doesn't happen anymore. However, <laughs> when I'm driving along and everything's going fine and someone passes me in a 7,000 pound vehicle... And they are looking at their cell phone, yeah that 's the one thing that right now gets me it's it, it, that triggers this really negative emotion in me, and i I guess a couple of times because it seemed like safe to honk my horn to get their attention so that they saw someone was watching them that 's become a bit of a conditioned response. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and I don't think it's good. i got to get rid of that. Yeah. Uh, There are times when it's appropriate, but I did it a couple of times when Barrett was in the car. Oh. When my grandson was in the car. Now, granted, I wasn't honking the horn and going, you blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I was just kind of honking the horn and going, hey, cell phone. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to. So since I don't think that's a good thing to teach uh, a child, it's probably not a good thing in myself. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I, I told that whole story to say when you were talking about feeling it in your gut, I also recognize that what I feel in my gut when I do that, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. It's this wanting, not wanting, that's not fair. It's this conditioned response that I see something, I don't like the thing, and I'm going to respond to it right now. Mm-hmm. And that's not. that's almost always not the best way. Yeah, I agree Unless it's a snake about to bite you
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, That that makes sense
0: But that's not a snake Yeah So Tell us about how you channeled Or maybe, again Maybe you didn't do this methodically But I sort of see that you've channeled your You know, some of your contemplative self into a uh, a practicing mind you know it's like you're Mm -hmm. working you're working on something else where you're free
1: yeah well one of the things about um, changing a changing a process changing um, thought patterns and behavior cycles uh It's difficult. It it takes time, and I I'm really grateful that I was really developing music at the same time because I was. I feel like I was learning. Anything's possible if you put the time into it, and you're self-critical. And I feel like, um, for what I was for what I was trying to do with my process and behavior, I was trying to be just hyper aware as best I could be but was also hyper hyper critical at the same time I think I brought the same thing into practicing music which can be a good or bad thing um I think um yeah there are a lot there are a number of different elements that go into uh music from all the stuff we were just talking about from feeling from feeling numb to just wanting to feel something and I think maybe that's what maybe that's what started um, this kind of intense drive to want to take my ear by surprise and that that's a regular practice for me. To sit down at the dulcimer and go, what do my fingers not want to do? Um, uh, what's something that I don't, or, or as odd as this sounds, what is something that I'm not capable of coming up with on my own? Um, and I—that's probably a, a terrible way of describing it. No, no, but, no, it um, makes sense.
0: I. W- if we were having our, our normal Dulcimer geek to where we tend to argue just too much, I would I would say almost anything you do, you can, you know, probably get pretty good at, but not all of us can do everything. Right. And if you try to do everything, almost nothing you do, you'll probably end up right. You know, getting really good at. Yeah. So I, I sort of like the concept of almost anything you do will probably be successful. Right. Because. The fact that you're doing something puts you, you know, pretty close to the front of the pack. You know, the fact that you're just pursuing it seriously. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about this process of a a super achiever, which is the way I'm sort of looking at you in this Dulcimer thing you do, as if that was an uh, if that was the goal that the process was the goal but i but i think one of the things we just leapfrogged is there was this process you sort of mentioned it with David Beatty just a little bit you know him sort of opening up some ideas to you mm-hmm. and so therefore <clears throat> it's like oh somebody mentioned something you want to know more about that so you emulate that a bit yeah but there were also musical influences in your life you know like you discovered Chris Thiele yeah at some point and it when you maybe start but Stop me if I'm putting words into your mouth. But when you start saying, Oh, I want to do this thing like him, you go, Oh my goodness, <laughs> that's not easy to do. Yeah. Then yeah. you start finding the tools you need to get you to the place you be where you can go, I mean, where where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Is that also accurate to you? Yeah. Yeah. I know that may not be true. I mean, because even in the life of somebody like Chris Thiele, who I think is one of the best musicians alive, in the environment that he grew up in, he was sort of expected to be kind of
1: what he became. Yeah. I think that's fair. It seems a little fair. Yeah. Yeah. As, you know, just an outside observer. (laughs) uh, Yes. Someone who doesn't know him or his family personally. That's right. uh, right. Yeah. So it's not completely fair for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, uh, uh, as our friend, our friend Butch Ross said, um, and this relates to Chris Thiele a little bit. Wh- where it comes to Winfield, there should be two categories: the homeschooled groups and <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> and everyone else. And when I first started doing uh, the dulcimer stuff, I did I did the contests and everything. And do you remember I, one of the first questions I asked you when I met you? Uh, no. S- oh, are you homeschooled? Yes. <laughs> Sitting in the yeah. car.
0: That's hilarious. <laughs> it was either at the McDonald's yeah, right. or it was outside of the uh, I said, oh, so are you homeschooled? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I just it's assumed like, because no. of your jobs. <laughs> That's funny.
1: No, and it, it, it was funny, though, when I first started going to these, that I felt a little bit like, like the orphan child because I saw, like, Jeff Hames, Aaron Thornton, Eli Valencia, Sarah Elizabeth Musgrave, the Rogers sisters. All of us were teenagers, you know, doing these contests and, and going to camps and I was the only one not traveling with family and I got adopted by a lot of different people and no, fed good. fed really well. <laughs> Community. So, yeah, that was great. And the the Rogers were, uh, the Rogers sisters, Aaron and Amber, well, Aaron May now, they were, I think, one of the first ones that I, that I met and um, I still ap- appreciate their parents uh, after... <laughs> Seeing me wandering around lost (laughs) at a festival, (laughs) going, Do you you need something to eat? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Are you okay? (laughs) That's
0: great. It's a good environment, still. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm.
1: It's much safer than, you know, doing the punk rock circuit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's less angst filled. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Dulcimer is kind of a de angster. Yeah. Could you think of any angst-filled Dulcimer songs? <laughs> um, I can think of a couple. I mean, that I've heard people perform.
1: Hmm. Um. I think when I listened back to some of the early things that I wrote, they were maybe a little more angst-filled. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you experiment with lyrics at all no i I don't write lyrics on my own but I have in, in working with other songwriters I have really enjoyed making tweaks uh, I guess from a from a editor or producer standpoint all right and I, I want to touch on that
0: but bef- okay. before we go there do we uh, Have we left any gaping wounds to which we need to apply gauze (laughs) before we move on? And I I appreciate your indulging me and and sharing your story, because that that stuff's not easy to do.
1: Well, you know, it's a... um, I think it's important to do so. Um, Like you said, I think that there is a, a strength that comes from putting it out in the open... Um you one of the one of the things that maybe I I struggle with a little bit when I when I go teach a workshop where I interact with other people is um uh hearing you know uh someone say well you're you're so talented or your your family must be really proud of, you, proud of you you must have started when you were super young and I That's interesting. and I in my head I'm always thinking like what drove me to spending a whole lot of time here was some pretty dark stuff and you know between practicing 12-15 hours in a day because your room with the door closed is your sanctuary um I mean yeah it'll help you get good at something but there's much better ways to go through yeah. life.
0: <laughs> it doesn't help everyone get good at something. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Some people, they, again, it just damages them so that yeah. they have a hard time being good at anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're fortunate that way. Yeah. Uh, but I don't mean fortunate like talented. I mean, you're seeing the fortune of, of a path,
1: mm-hmm. you know, and that's good. It's a good story. So when in the last podcast, mm-hmm. uh, when I... Said something along the lines of, "I was just when I called you arrogant." No, I don't. think... I didn't <laughs> call you arrogant. Aaron <laughs> Gint. Yeah, Aaron <laughs> Gints. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, when I I said something uh, about um, you know what the dulcimer means to me, and and uh, I tend to split it in two parts. In its most simple form, it's an instrument, which helps with creative expression we can get some enjoyment out of it musically but on a personal note the instrument was also part of a personal path that brought me in context or brought me in contact with some people who were hugely influential to me and i think got me down at least uh lit some important light bulbs that led to i think living a more productive and happier life yeah um Part of at the same time, part of me goes to um, the Tim Minchin song. If I didn't have you, I'd probably have somebody else. <laughs> but it's I a w- positive song. It, it is, but I have to say, you know, that I feel good. <laughs> I feel like this has been a positive relationship with sure. the Dulcimer. In I like my uh, life, so.
0: as long as we're in that mode my david wilcox quote of the week is and is the you know the two roads from the david frost poem oh yeah about how you can get to a place in in life you know where you that poem seems like it makes sense but um, but everybody takes different paths mhm and you can yeah. always look back and you go oh i see the wisdom of those decisions you know right and, <laughs> and there could have been different decisions that were wise also yeah uh, and there could have been decisions that you, looking at someone else's life, would think were, were horribly foolish decisions, but yet they still end up in a place where they're, you know, right. they're, they're at peace with their lives and, mm-hmm. and recognize, yeah it's hard for us to say we'd do it differently. Right. Uh, because but I, I think we probably wouldn't because we did what we did because we were where we were and were who we were, yeah. <laughs> so that's why we did what we did. If <clears throat> we had different information, maybe, but we don't. So yeah, move on.
1: Yeah, I mean, in my Dulcimer career, there's plenty that I would do differently with the knowledge I have that you now. have now. <laughs> yeah, with the chops yeah. you have now. Yeah,
0: certainly. So we're gonna wrap this up in a second because we've gone well over an hour. But I think there's a part of you that many that people maybe not are aware of, and that's the producer side that's helped quite a few angsty singer-songwriters yeah. <laughs> <laughs> produce albums. Uh, I, I started to say one of which we're going to see this weekend, but I wouldn't say Carrie is uh, particularly angst-filled, but maybe I should. I don't
1: know. I, I don't know. I wouldn't say she's angst-filled, but... <laughs> Be careful. There, there are plenty of songs about um, with an unfavorable view of men in her life. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Sarah. Sarah Kate.
0: Yeah? If, if, if you're listening, if people only heard the one, I mean, I've heard you many times, but she did a concert in Chattanooga where pretty much every song ended up with a woman killing a man at some point. <laughs> <laughs> And she was like, yeah, I don't know why I did that. I was sort of in that mood. <laughs> sort of in that mood? Well, and then she came and she stayed at my house. Oh. <laughs> so I double bolted my
1: door. <laughs> that, that was a good move. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was just afraid, afraid of that woman.
1: Angie would protect you.
0: Angie, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe. And maybe. She, they might gang up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they run in packs, you know. Yeah. And yeah. So, anyway, we're fortunate that we're slightly stronger than them most of the time, but... That's another subject. Whoa, <laughs>
1: whoa!
0: <laughs> I mean, so they don't overtake us. And
1: <laughs> whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was going to be an appropriate segue, and I'm, I'm keep, I keep waiting for it and to like. I'm stopping. <laughs>
0: Two roads diverge. Oh, wrong road. <laughs> oh, <right>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, you've done some uh, music production, uh-huh. and I know one of the things you're working on right now. See, this is the place in the interview where people, they ask you questions as if they don't know what it is you're really working on, but I've always thought that was silly because you can tell the interviewer does. Yeah. I think one of the coolest things I know you're working on right now is a uh, multi-movement piece Yes. that's... Kind of kicking your
1: patootie just a little bit. Yeah, more than just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it—I—I it, I know it's coming out in some funny ways, like in in the last podcast that we did. And I'll stop mention I'll stop referencing previous podcasts. But when you, yeah, we want to forget those happened. <laughs> yeah, when you <laughs> when you hear me saying stuff like I, I'm, I'm spending an awful lot of time on the edge of what I can do. Yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, a lot of it is rooted in working on this at the same time it also, I have to say it really excites me spending time on the edge of what I can do and um, uh, again I feel like it's another example of being in the process of something I don't actually feel capable (laughs) of writing but I've been really happy with, uh, with how it's progressed and um and i feel like it's made it's making me a better player um i'm on the uh i'm onto the third movement right now and as i get little bits released i'm or, or as i get little bits worked out i'm releasing it on patreon um since this is being funded entirely by my patrons on oh that's great yeah um so thanks to you guys listening um. But it's something that I've wanted to do for a really long time. I love the idea of a multi-movement piece that's meant to be presented as a collection um, that has drastically different parts going with it. Cool. All right, man.
0: We are uh, about 60 miles now from Louisville. Louisville?
1: Yeah. Oh. I can say it properly. So and we're not... Eight more miles to Louisville?
0: That's a song. It is. See, I should know that. Yeah. You should. We're going to a dulcimer festival. I know, but Hammer <laughs> Dulcimer players don't play a whole lot of that kind of stuff.
1: No, no Uncle Dave Macon? Mm, we're doing, uh, no.
0: Okay. <clears throat> we all want to be in alternative punk bands.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> if I had hair, my mythical hair, refer <laughs> to last <laughs> yeah. time. <laughs> you know when you were talking about how it's not really a hole in the ozone layer? Yeah. I was sort of thinking about, it's kind of like a, a, a scalp when you start to go bald.
1: <laughs> <What>? <laughs>
0: <laughs> At some point, it's not really fully gone. It's just like there's that center patch that's all gone. And if you look closely, there's a little hair. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you just need to put a little gain on the ozone layer? Yeah, so this is the oxygen equivalent of a comb-over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you guys.